0: Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Hello, and thank you for joining us for the December 11th reading of sports news. My name is Philip Bradbury. Well, as usual, there's a lot going on in the sports world, both on and off the field. Here's an interesting article that we're going to start off with. Tonight on Monday Night Football, the Tennessee Titans, who are four and eight, will be facing the Miami Dolphins, which are nine and three. It'll be the first time that Tennessee returns to Miami since September 9th of 2018, when the two teams set a record for the longest game in NFL history in front of a sold-out crowd at Hard Rock Stadium. For the season opener, this article by Teron Davenport. He's a staff writer for ESPN, and it came out this morning. A mixture of lightning delays, key injuries, two kick return touchdowns, five interceptions, a fight, and both teams admittedly running out of snacks were some of the highlights and lowlights on a day when Mike Vrabel made his head coaching debut. The game lasted 7 hours, 8 minutes, and finally ended with the Dolphins winning 27-20. to It surpassed the previous longest game since the 1970 NFL-AFL merger when the Chicago Bears won in overtime against the Baltimore Ravens in a 2013 matchup that lasted 5 hours and 16 minutes. The biggest delays were for two lightning stoppages, which combined for a total of 3 hours, and 59 minutes it's like this one's going to be a while so let's take our pads off and hang out for said and then try to have an idea of when the delay may end and try to ramp back up have to be ready for everything i guess needed to be ready for everything is an understatement didn't even feel like the same day says former titans linebacker darren bates who is now an assistant special teams coach for the Seattle Seahawks. It was a whole nother day, and it didn't feel right. The first lightning delay came with 1 minute 11 seconds left in the first half. Both teams were forced into their locker rooms for an hour and 57 minutes with Miami holding a 7-3 lead. Titans running back Derrick Henry said he walked around the locker room joking with everybody while he tried to keep his legs warm and lose for whenever they had to take the field some of the dolphins players stayed warm by riding a stationary bike while others including cornerback xavier howard listened to music we was trying to stay warm and stuff like that everybody joking howard told espn we was watching other teams also play in their locker room so it was fun even though we was ready to get back on the field and we had to keep going back and forth I think we probably went in the locker room probably like two times. When they went back onto the field to finish the final minute or so of the first half, they were told to stay on the field instead of going back to the locker room for halftime to make up for lost time. The typical halftime break lasts around 12 minutes, but this halftime show spanned a little over three minutes. The second lightning delay came with 6 minutes 47 left in the third quarter with the score still 7-3. That delay lasted for two hours and two minutes. The restart time kept getting pushed back as the lightning strikes continued to illuminate the Miami skies. Every time there was a lightning flash, the 30-minute clearance period would start over. Current Titans quarterback Ryan Tannehill was Miami's starter at the time. It was his first time playing since tearing his ACL in his left knee late in the 2016 season. It was wild, Tannehill told ESPN. You had guys that stayed in uniform and other guys basically got completely undressed and were hanging out. The two teams had to find something to eat during the delay since they hadn't eaten since breakfast titan security coordinator jeb johnston and his team found a way to get food for the visitors the ops guys went upstairs and they were getting mini pizzas from the concession stands and brought them down because we ran out of food Frabel said a fan saw Bates with titan's defensive backs brendan Crowick and malcolm butler sitting on a water cooler and chairs outside the locker room eating pizza and hot dogs The fan got a kick out of them sitting there, so he asked Bates to take a picture. Bates wasn't expecting the fan to throw the phone down to him, so he wasn't ready to catch it while he was eating. I just looked as it hit the ground and shattered into pieces, Bates told ESPN. Meanwhile, the food selection was a little better in the Dolphins' locker room. They ate what was supposed to be the post-game meal that consisted of barbecue along with mac and cheese, according to Tannehill. They ate like they were privileged, Bates said of the Miami players. Tannehill wisely concluded that it was a bad idea to eat the super heavy food, knowing he'd have to go back on the field at any given moment. A few of the Dolphins players failed to have the same intuition, causing their stomachs to sour when they had to resume play. They came in like, hey, here on the field in 10 minutes while people were eating barbecue, Tannehill said. That was crazy, going from eating barbecue and macaroni and cheese to playing football game in 10 minutes. The injuries piled up for the Titans. First cornerback Adoree Jackson went down on a punt return. Then starting quarterback Marcus Mariota threw two interceptions in the third quarter and came out of the game with an elbow injury that kept him from being able to feel his fingers or grip the football. The first interception was a costly one as left tackle Taylor Luan suffered a concussion on the play and didn't return. Dolphins linebacker Andre Branch blasted Luan on a blindside block during the return by safety Rashad Jones. Luan was laid out face down on the field after the hit, but he suddenly popped up as a fight involving both teams led to Jordan Phillips and Bobby McCain for the Dolphins and Titans running back Deion Lewis receiving offsetting unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. Three-time Pro Bowl tight end Delani Walker got carted off the field late in the fourth quarter because of a right ankle injury that required season-ending surgery. Walker wasn't able to regain his form after that injury and was released in March 2020 before signing a one-day contract to retire as a Titan on October 18th of 2022. There were interceptions on three consecutive drives in a span that was a little more than two minutes in the third quarter, and every quarterback who played was responsible for at least one pick on the soggy day. Finally, the scoring began after a field goal shortly after the second delay to make it 10 to three. It came in a hurry with four touchdowns happening in just over a four minute span. Blaine Gabbard came on in relief of Mariota and led the Titans on a 75-yard touchdown drive to make it 10-10 with 14-17 left in the fourth quarter. Dolphins returner Joachim Grant answered with a 102-yard kickoff return before Miami would score again on a 75-yard touchdown pass from Tannehill to Kenny Stills with 10-22 left to make it 24-10. Darius Jennings closed the gap when he returned the ensuing kick 94 yards. The Titans have only returned one punt or kick for a touchdown since. The two returns in the same quarter is the third instance of it happening in the last 20 years, and it was the first time since 2008, while the other came in 2007. I would like for us to be able to get one and not give up one, very said of the returns. Those special-team moments can be great ways to change momentum. Henry had a momentum-shifting run early in the fourth quarter that would have made the score 17-17 after going 62 yards to the end zone, but was called back for a holding penalty. The drive would end up resulting in a punt. I had a touchdown to get called back, so I must have felt pretty good, Henry said. As Vrabel returns to where it all started, Miami is on its third coach since 2018. The game was during the final year of Adam Gacy's tenure and Mike McDaniel is now head coach. Only five coaches in the AOC, that's Bill Belichick of the Patriots, John Harbaugh of the Ravens, Mike Tomlin of the Steelers, Andy Reid of the Kansas City Chiefs, and Sean McDermott of the Buffalo Bills have had longer tenures as head coach of their current teams. None of them can say they began things quite the way that Vrabel did, though, a game that ended with roughly 10,000 fans left in the stands after hitting the 65,000 mark for the 1 p.m. kickoff. Vrabel added, It was certainly an an interesting and, and unique way to start my NFL coaching career. Once again, Monday night football will be the Tennessee Titans and the Miami Dolphins kickoff is at 6 15 mountain time and it will be broadcast on ESPN and ESPN radio here's an article on the Heisman Trophy winner this article by Anthony Garib he's a staff writer for ESPN and it came out yesterday December 10th on ESPN.com after a historic season LSU Tigers quarterback Jaden Daniels is the 2023 Heisman Trophy winner. Daniels becomes the third ever Heisman winner from LSU, joining Joe Burrow in 2019 and Billy Cannon in 1959, and second Tigers quarterback all time. He had 3,500 passing yards and 1,000 rushing yards this season, becoming the first SEC player to do so since Johnny Manziel in 2012. The win also makes daniels the second california native to earn the heisman award in the last three years bryce young won in 2021 and before young california native reggie bush won the heisman in 2005. so here are the key numbers behind Daniels's heisman winning season 50. daniels found the end zone often throughout the season He had an FBS high, 50 total touchdowns, 40 passing and 10 rushing. The fifth SEC player to do so, and he's in company with Young in 2021, Burrow of 2019, Pam Newton in 2010, and Tim Tebow in 2007. All of the previous four players to do so also won the Heisman. Four. There were four big scoring games that came often for Daniels. He accounted for at least four touchdowns in five straight games across September and October. The Grambling Tigers, five, and four each against the Mississippi State Bulldogs, the Arkansas Razorbacks, the Old Miss Rebels, and the Missouri Tigers. Eight. Daniels had eight total touchdowns against the Georgia State Panthers, six in passing and two rushing. He became the second player in SEC history to be responsible for as many touchdowns joining Burrow against the Oklahoma Sooners in 2019. Daniels is the first player in SEC history with six pass touchdowns and two rushing touchdowns in a single game. 70. The San Bernardino, California native had a whopping 70 completions of 20 plus yards this season, the most, in the fbs 606 and that's against the florida gators in november daniels etched himself into the record books with a dominant performance he had 372 passing yards and 234 rushing yards marking a total of 606 yards plus five total touchdowns That made him the first player in FBS history with 350 passing yards and 200 rushing yards in a single game. 12,000 and 3,000. Over Daniel's five-year college career, he amassed 12,749 passing yards and 3,307 rushing yards. He is the first player in FBS history with 12,000 career passing yards and 3,000 career rushing yards. So, congratulations to Jaden Daniels of LSU. Other notables this article by the Associated Press and publications worldwide came out on December 2nd. Goalkeeper Tim Howard was elected to the U.S. National Soccer Hall of Fame and will be inducted on May 4th. Howard was on the ballot for the first time and received 46 of 48 votes from the player selection committee. When you play football, you try, and for the love and play for the glory, and hopefully along the way you do some things, Howard said after being told the news while on air as an analyst for NBC's Premier League coverage. Josh McKinney, captain of the U.S. Seven-Aside Paralympic team, also was elected. The 52-year-old Howard made 121 appearances with the U.S. men's national team from 2002 to 2017 and was in goal at the 2010 and 2014 World Cups. After playing with Major League Soccer's New York, New Jersey MetroStars from 1998 to 2003, he spent 13 seasons in the English Premier League with Manchester United from 2003 to 2006 and with Everton from 2006 to 2016. He was the Premier League goalkeeper of the year in 2004. Howard returned to MLS with Colorado from 2016 to 2019, and last played in 2020 for Memphis in the second tier United Soccer League's league championship, where he is a non-controlling owner and sporting director. He is in his fourth season as an NBC analyst. You can't think of these moments, Howard said. You get your head down and you work hard. I've always said that I'm just a kid from New Jersey who enjoyed playing soccer and learned how to compete and learned how to love the game. The 44-year-old McKinney, who was born with cerebral palsy, scored 81 goals in 124 appearances over 19 years, and played at Paralympics in 1996, 2004, and 2012, and he was on 35 ballots. The player must appear on 50% or more of ballots to be elected, and a third could be voted in if received at least 75% of the ballots. So in McKinney's case, he got 72.9%, and in Tim Howard's case, he got 95.8%. Here's an interesting article by Michael Kunzelman of the Associated Press. It appeared in publications worldwide on December 1st. Olympic gold medalist swimmer Kelty Keller, who threw his USA team jacket in a trash can after he stormed the U.S. Capitol, was sentenced to six months of home detention for joining the mob's January 6, 2021 attack on the seat of American democracy. At six foot six, Keller towered over police officers guarding the Capitol and other Donald Trump supporters who breached the building, and he was quickly identified by authorities. He pleaded guilty in 2021 to a felony charge and was one of the first rioters to publicly agree to cooperate with authorities investigating the attack. Video captured Keller leading profane chants directed at then-House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Both are Democrats. He also joined a chorus of rioters in singing the national anthem in the middle of the Capitol. He resisted efforts to remove him from the Capitol, ripping an elbow away and shaking off a police officer, prosecutors said. U.S. District Judge Richard Leon sentenced Keller to three years of probation, including six months of home detention, and ordered him to perform 360 hours of community service at a rate of 10 hours per month that he is under court supervision. Keller told the judge he knew his actions on January 6th left lawmakers in fear and made it more difficult for police to do their job. I have no excuse for why I am in front of you today, he said. I understand my actions were criminal and that I am fully responsible for my conduct. A prosecutor, Troy Edwards, Jr., asked the judge to sentence Keller to 10 months of imprisonment. Federal sentencing guidelines recommended a term of imprisonment ranging from 15 to 21 months. But the judge said that he believes Keller's time will be better spent speaking to teenagers and college students about his mistakes and how to avoid repeating them than serving time behind bars. If there ever was a case that screams out for probation, this is it, Leon said. During the January 6th riot, Keller wore a jacket with an American flag on the sleeve, an Olympic team patch on the front, and the letters USA across the back. Prosecutors said that he tossed the jacket into a trash can on his way back to a hotel and later smashed his cell phone with a hammer because he knew he was fleeing a crime scene. Clay T. Derek Keller once wore the American flag as an Olympian. On January 6 of 2021, he threw that flag in a trash can, prosecutors wrote in the court filing. Keller's lawyer said he threw away the jacket out of shame after leaving the Capitol and encountering a young boy and his father on a a train. The boy asked Keller about his Olympic career and requested a photo with him, defense attorney Zachary Dubler said in another court filing. Keller felt that he had let this young man down by behaving the way he did. And the moment that this young man and father find out what he did their admiration for him would be shattered dubler wrote investigators never recovered the jacket nor any cell phone videos or photos that he recorded at the capitol keller surrendered to authorities about a week after returning home to colorado keller has been cooperating with investigators since he pleaded guilty to obstructing the january 6 joint session of congress for certifying President Joe Biden's 2020 electoral victory. Prosecutors pointed to Keller's substantial assistance as grounds for leniency. Prosecutors said that his early guilty plea undoubtedly reached thousands of others weighing whether to turn themselves in, plead guilty, or even cooperate. They added that his public acknowledgment that his interference with the peaceful transfer of power was, in fact, a serious crime provided an important counterweight to the false narrative that January 6 was a peaceful, lawful protest. Keller experienced personal and financial problems after retiring from professional swimming. After separating from his wife in 2014. Teller lived out of his car for nearly a year while working three jobs to pay for child support and other expenses, according to his attorney. After the Capitol riot, he lost a job and regular visitation with his children. Last year, he signed the paperwork for his children to be adopted by their stepfather, his attorney said. I hope my case serves as a warning to anyone who rationalizes illegal conduct, especially in a moment of political fervor Keller wrote in a letter to the judge, the consequences of my behavior will follow me and my family for the rest of our lives. On January sixth, Keller attended then President Donald Trump's Stop the Steal rally near the White House with a friend before marching with the crowd to the Capitol. He entered the building through an open door on the Upper West of Paris and remained inside for nearly an hour. Keller came within 50 feet of the Senate chamber, which lawmakers evacuated as the mob swarmed the building. Police officers had to forcibly remove Keller and other rioters from the Capitol through the East Rotunda Lobby. Keller won five medals, including two golds, while competing for the U.S. at three Summer Olympics at the 2000 Games in Sydney, Australia. He won an individual bronze in the 400-meter freestyle event and a silver medal as the anchor leg of a relay. At the 2004 Olympics in Athens, Greece, Keller swam the anchor leg when the U.S. won gold medals in the 800-meter freestyle relay. He and teammates Michael Phelps, Ryan Lochte, and Peter Vanderke narrowly held off a rival Australian team at the 2008 games in beijing china mr keller won another gold medal in a freestyle relay approximately 1200 people have been charged with capital riot related federal crimes nearly 900 of them have pled guilty or been convicted by a judge or jury after trials over 700 of them have been sentenced with roughly two-thirds receiving prison sentences ranging from three days to 22 years there's another article on the olympics this story by heather mayor irvine came out december 2nd on runners world olympic medalist lucien santos has been banned by the athletics integrity unit for three years for lying about his age at the world junior championships in 2012. According to a report from AIU, the Athletics Integrity Unit, Santos, who is 31, represents the Dominican Republic and won a gold medal in the 400 meters at the 2012 London Olympics. He admitted to listing his date of birth as November 12, 1993, when he was actually born on November 12, 1992 and that made him ineligible to compete at the World Junior Championships in 2012, which required athletes to be 18 or 19 on December 31st of the competition year. Santos has been banned from competition from March 11th of 2023 through March 10th of 2026. The AIU sought a four-year ban, but it was reduced by a year because Santos admitted to the charges. The 400-meter runner was stripped of his gold medal from the junior competition, but not of his silver medal from the 2012 Olympics. Unlike with sanctions for doping violations, there was no 2012 rule that provided for the disqualification of future results in age eligibility cases. So there is no basis on which to annul his Olympic result, as that was not an age group event and no violation was committed there, said Rhett Coiffier of the AIU. According to the AIU, Santos used 1993 as his birth year from 2010 to 2017, but in February of 2018, he declared it was 1992 based on a passport issued in 2018, but he continued to use the 1992 birth year for competition. The AIU flagged the discrepancy, and when it confronted Santos, he told the organization that on, quote, instructions he had to obtain a special passport issued by the Dominican authorities, which gave his date of birth as being November 12, 1993, end quote. He also told the AIU that he was told to use the special passport for competition, but his genuine passport, which had 1992 as his birth year, for all other official purposes officials have not yet said if American Armand Hall who earned a silver medal behind Santos will be upgraded to champion and all that is according to NBC Sports many of you might be familiar with Bronny James he's the son of LA Lakers star LeBron James This article by Jeff Borzello, he's a staff writer for ESPN, and it came out yesterday on ESPN.com. Ronnie James will make his USC debut against Long Beach State nearly five months after suffering a cardiac arrest during a July practice. He was cleared by doctors for a return to basketball on November 30th, going through practices earlier this week before receiving full contact clearance from USC. He participated in his full, full contact practice last Thursday, and we anticipate that James will play on Sunday, says says coach Andy Enfield. And he stated this after James had gone through a second full contact practice on Friday. The school officially announced Sunday morning that he would suit up and see restricted minutes off the bench. In a statement in August, the James family said that Ronnie James has a congenital heart defect that is treatable, according to medical professions, professionals tasked with his care. James, a top 20 recruit in the class of 2023, arrived at USC last spring. He spent his high school career at Sierra Canyon High School in California, developing into a bona fide NBA prospect over the past couple of years. James was part of a highly touted recruiting class for Enfield as one of four ESPN 100 prospects, including Isaiah Collier, the number one overall recruit in the 2023 class, and the projected number one pick in the 2024 NBA draft. So here is a look at key moments in James's journey to play college basketball. On July 21st of 2018, it was an unofficial visit to Duke. Ronnie visited the Duke campus with his North Coast Blue Chips grassroots team. On May 29th of 2019, he headed to Sierra Canyon. The Los Angeles Times breaks the news that Bronny who has just finished eighth grade and his younger brother Bryce are leaving Santa Monica Crossroads and enrolling at Sierra Canyon. September 3rd, 2022, trip to Ohio State. Ronnie and LeBron take a visit to Ohio State for the Buckeyes football game against Notre Dame, standing on the sidelines at the horseshoe. A couple of days later, Ronnie posts a photo on Instagram of him in an Ohio State basketball jersey with the hashtag non-committed lebron was born and raised in akron ohio while Bronny was born in cleveland january 24th 2023 he is picked for the mcdonald's all-american game ronnie is one of 24 players selected to the prestigious mcdonald's all-american game march 29th of 2023 in the mcdonald's all-american game Ronnie played for 20 minutes for the West team, finishing with 15 points and four assists while shooting five for eight from the three point range. He also took part in the dunking contest. April 6th, 2023, Ronnie breaks his silence. Ronnie had not given an interview throughout his high school career, especially regarding his recruitment, but at the Nike Hoop Summit, he finally speaks publicly publicly about the recruiting process. Talking to them, talking to the coaches, it's good to know that they want me there with them, Ronnie says in response to a question about all Star game teammates recruiting him to certain schools, that at the end of the day, it's my decision and I need to make the right one for me. May 6 of 2023 commitment to USC. Ronnie announces his commitment to the Trojans on Instagram. LeBron James says later that night, congratulations to my son on his next journey on picking a great university. I'm proud of him. This is an incredible thing, LeBron added. Obviously, his dad didn't go to school. His mom didn't go to college. It's super cool. USC is getting a great kid. He's there to play basketball, but they're going to be super surprised at how great a kid he is, even though they've been recruiting him for a while. May 10th of 2023, USC officially announces the signing of Bronnie James joining the Trojans' 2023-24 roster. On June 14th of 2023, USC posted a tweet announcing Bronnie's arrival on campus. Bronnie has arrived, it says. On July 24th, Bronnie suffers a cardiac arrest while practicing. Ronnie is treated by medical staff and taken to the hospital, being admitted to the ICU. The next day, July 25th, Ronnie is in stable condition, no longer in ICU. A a James family spokesperson releases a statement confirming the cardiac arrest and the trip to the hospital. Quote, he is now in stable condition and no longer in ICU, end quote, per the spokesperson. LeBron and Savannah wish to publicly send their deepest thanks and appreciation to the USC medical and athletic staff for their incredible work and dedication to the safety of their athletes, the statement adds. August 25th of 2023, Bronny's heart defect deemed treatable. In a statement, the James family says that Bronny's heart condition, diagnosed as a congenital heart defect, can be treated and the family Expects him to return to the basketball court. October 2nd, LeBron says Bronny intends to play this season. During the LA Lakers Media Day, LeBron James asks Bronny, says, on LA Lakers Media Day, LeBron James says that Bronny is on campus taking classes and is doing extremely well. He adds that Bronny has begun the rehab process to get back on the floor to play this season. November 7th of this year, LeBron says that Bronny has an upcoming medical exam. LeBron James says that Bronny will return to practice with the intention of appearing in game action if he passes a medical exam at the end of November. Things are going in the right direction with Bronny's progress, James says. He's doing rehab. Every week he gets to do more and more and more. We have a big moment at the end of this month to see if we can continue to go forward. If he's cleared, we'll be not too long away from him being back on the floor and back with his teammates and practicing with the notion of being back on the floor and playing in game situations. November 19th, Ronnie goes through pre pre-game, pregame warmups for the first time. Prior to USC's game against Brown, Ronnie warms up with his teammates for the first time. It was great. He went through warm-ups with the team. He's a big part of our program and our team, and he's a terrific teammate, says Enfield. We look forward to hopefully one day getting him back on the court, but when that day is, that's not my decision. We're going to be patient and go through the process. November 23rd, Ronnie goes through pregame warm-ups for the second straight game. He went through warm-ups before USC's game against Seton Hall. He takes three shots from the corner, according to reports. Yes, he is with us, and he is studying the game, Coach Enfield says. He's watching his teammates participate and play, and he'll be out there hopefully pretty soon. November 30th, Ronnie is cleared to play. A James family spokesperson announces that Bronny has been cleared by doctors to return to basketball, and that he plans to resume practicing next week and return to games soon after. The James family would like to express their gratitude to the incredible medical team, the entire USC community, and especially the countless friends, family, and fans for their love and support. Fight on, says a family spokesperson in the statement. December 4th, Ronnie, a limited participant in practice, and he is a limited participant in practice while awaiting clearance for a full contact practice. Quote, Ronnie has not been cleared fully yet from USC, Coach Enfield told ESPN after practice. He can participate without contact. He's done a good job of getting his conditioning and his strength back, and I think he's on the path to be ready to play very quickly. December 7th, three days before USC is set to host Long Beach State, James goes through his first full-contact practice. The team and medical staff will evaluate how James feels over the next couple of days before making a decision on whether he's cleared for his potential debut. When asked if the plan is for James to play in his first collegiate game on Sunday, Coach Enfield replied, we assume. Today was his first day of contact practice, Enfield said after Thursday's practice. He looked good. He has to get his timing back and get in game shape, but I thought today was a good first day. December 8th. Bronny goes through his second full contact practice a day after his first one, completing one more hurdle before his expected debut in the Trojans' home game against Long Beach State. It's not my final decision, Enfield said after Friday's practice. It'll be Brawny's final decision plus the doctor's, but we're leaning towards that. In practice, James plays full court and half court with the team. I thought he looked better today than he did yesterday, Enfield said. His timing was very good. He still has a ways to go just because he hasn't been playing for six or seven months, but very impressive his first couple of days. And December 10th, the Trojans make it official. Ronnie is available and will play in Sunday's home game against Long Beach State. He will come off the bench and play under minutes restrictions, according to Coach Enfield. It's just going to be a feel for now how the game's going, and how he's playing, and how he feels physically, Enfield said. Sunday will be very emotional for him as well as his teammates but as the game progresses I think he'll settle in and we'll play it half by half and see where he is and the final score in that game was Long Beach State 84 and USC 79 in overtime and the stats for LeBron He played for 16 minutes. He finished the game with four points, three rebounds, and two assists. He came off the bench, and obviously his minutes were limited as he works his way back into game shape for the Trojans, who are currently five and four. Turning to baseball now shohei otani's new contract is just his latest feat to shock the world this article by jeff Passan. he is a staff writer for espn it came out yesterday december 10th on espn.com of all his incredible abilities shohei otani's capacity to shock pops the list for the past six years Otani has left us mere mortals slack-jawed as he conquered Major League Baseball, a sport that typically evolves over decades by redefining the capabilities of a single player. In a game where players hit or pitch, he does both, and to say it so plainly undersells his excellence in each endeavor. He is the most talented baseball player in the century and a half-long history of the game. It half by half and see where he is. And yet on Saturday, we found there was room for another surprise. This announcement went beyond his customary flabbergasting. Otani agreed with the Los Angeles Dodgers on a contract that would guarantee him $700 million for 10 years, with a significant chunk to be deferred until after the deal's conclusion. To many, the decision seemed preordained the best player going to the best organization. It was the fashion in which it happened, with a number, 700 million, far exceeding the highest expectations that imbued it with the sort of oomph that accompanies Otani's longest home runs and angriest fastballs. From L.A. to Tokyo, the fanciest athlete alive, the one who elevated what's possible unlike anyone before him, secured a contract that matched his magnitude. The agreement is the biggest ever in professional teams sports, nearly twice as large as the next best free agent deal. It left not just baseball or the sporting world, but the entire universe gobsmacked. In a time when anything seems possible, Otani's ability to amaze is unmatched. The most consequential free agency in sports since LeBron James's decision ended with a chaotic final 30 hours in which erroneous reports had Otani on the verge of an announcement on a plane to Canada and even agreeing to sign with the Toronto Blue Jays. Consumed by the possibility of Otani joining their team, fans flocked to flight tracking websites to monitor the whereabouts of a private jet going from Southern California to Toronto. When the door swung open, Robert Grzavec a businessman and shark tank star emerged, much to the deflation of Blue Jays fans base frothing at the notion that Otani would choose Toronto. He didn't. Otani's announcement came via Instagram at 3.03 p.m. Eastern Time, below a slightly blurry Dodgers logo with a caption in which he first apologized for taking so long to make his choice. The decision all of baseball had been waiting for was here, as Otani shared that he was moving up Interstate 5 from the Angels to the Dodgers. This was the team always best positioned to leverage Otani's unparalleled marketing value to take a superstar who made Anaheim a baseball destination and create a mutually beneficial business relationship that further enriches both. While impossible to say how much money the franchise will make with Otani, who's 29, wearing Dodger blue, it's the sort of number that left ownership pledging it would not be outbid for him in free agency. That proclamation held, and it's easy to understand why. Otani is baseball's lone crossover star, someone whose unique talents have transcended a sport with waning cultural resonance. He's on the level of LeBron, Messi, and Mahomes, athletes for whom a mononym suffices. Shohei became Shohei, of course, because of his accomplishments. He won his second American League MVP award unanimously this season, despite missing the final month due to an elbow injury requiring reconstructive surgery that will keep him from pitching in 2024. In fewer than 500 at-bats as a designated hitter, he still whacked 44 home runs and posted an OPS of 1.066. Over 23 starts, he struck out 167 batters and 132 innings and booked a 3.14 ERA. The previous year, his ERA was 2.33, and his OPS was 8.75. The year before that, a 9.65 OPS, and a 3.18 ERA, and one more unanimous MVP. To suggest that sort of production will continue toward the end of the contract, when Otani will be 39, would be silly. But then to suggest a player can hit and pitch and do both at extraordinary levels was equally foolhardy, and here we are. The story, the history of pitchers returning to the mound successfully after a second major elbow procedure within five years is short. But then, this is Otani. Regardless of how audacious that $700 million number might be, executives around baseball on Saturday agreed almost unanimously. The Dodgers pulled off a coup, not just thieving Otani from Toronto and leaving the Blue Jays and their fans' jilted brides, not just staying within the rules to circumnavigate the competitive balance tax, the smartest team in baseball, the one with 10 division championships in 11 seasons and 106 wins in a season without a division championship, the organization that excels at analytics, scouting, drafting, and player development, domestically and internationally, also happened to be money enough to offer that kind of sum as much for a single season of play without accounting for deferrals as some teams pay their entire rosters and dare Otani to turn it down. Besides the eye-popping value of the contract is somewhat misleading, the Dodgers are going to pay Otani $700 million, but the present-day value of the contract will be markedly lower. The details matter. How much of the money is deferred A majority according to a source and how long the deferrals last will give a better sense of how good of a deal this might be for the dodgers minutia that will offer a better understanding when the deal is official sometime midweek major league baseball discounts deferrals when calculating the amount teams are charged in the competitive balance tax accounting system and rather than the $70 million a year a straight contract would cost, Otani's deal is expected to wind up somewhere in the range of 40 to $50 million a year. And that opens up a world of possibilities when it comes to further building a team around him. The Dodgers already have Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, a pair of Hall of Famers atop their lineup. They've got Will Smith, Mac Muncie, and James Outman behind them. Their rotation is a mess of TBDs at the moment, but Otani's deal buys the Dodgers and uh, the leeway to spend plenty to fill it, running a payroll that blows well beyond the first luxury tax threshold at $237 million, but doesn't necessarily exceed the $293.3 million mark that Los Angeles hit in 2022. So yes, the Dodgers certainly will be in the bidding for Japanese right-hander Yoshinobu Yamamoto, whose suitors include the New York Mets, the New York Yankees, Boston Red Sox, Chicago Cubs, San Francisco Giants, and yes, even the Blue Jays, who would hate to be spurned twice. Adding him and Otani isn't out of the question. By Game 1 of the 2024 season, which sees the Dodgers take on the San Diego Padres in Seoul, South Korea, Yamamoto could be the starting pitcher, with Otani hitting behind Betts and Freeman. It would be must-watch TV, whether in the United States or abroad. With Otani in the fold, the Dodgers' worldwide appeal only grows. When Hideo Nomo arrived in Los Angeles nearly 30 years ago, he was a phenom whose pipeline-opening performance captivated audiences and paved the way for Ishiro Suzuki, idea Matsui, Yu Darvish, and Otani to thrive in Major League Baseball. If the Dodgers weren't synonymous with Japanese baseball before, they certainly will be now, and with a new generation of players primed to make the leap, Yamamoto, brilliant 22-year-old right-hander Roki Hisaki, slugging third baseman Munitaka Murakami, and so many others, Los Angeles could cement itself as the American outpost for all the best players. Otani will be at the center of it. Following a physical that he is expected to pass, even with his recently repaired elbow, he will be a Dodger. The rest of the sport, consequently, is on notice. This is Dodgers 2.0, bigger and better than ever, with the best player alive at the heart of it. And as spring training approaches and the Dodgers round out their roster and the full picture of this super team's future comes into focus, we'll look back on the Torturous and for Toronto Torturous 30 hours that delivered Shohei Otani to Los Angeles and remember them for their shock, sure, but for their awe as well. There is some sad news in the baseball world. This article came out by the Associated Press on December 2nd, and it was in publications worldwide from Atlanta. Paul Snyder, the -the behind-the-scenes architect of the Braves' rise to prominence in the 1990s, has passed away. He was 88, and no cause was given by the Braves. Joining the Atlanta front office in the 1970s, Snyder played a key role in a scouting department that first spotted many of Atlanta's future stars, including Tom Glavin, Chipper Jones, Yavi Lopez, and Andrew Jones. Those players and others scouted by Snyder took lead roles on Atlanta teams that won a record 14th straight division titles from 1991 to 2005 highlighted by a World Series championship in 1995. Paul Snyder was a true baseball man, the team said in a statement posted on social media. In a career that spanned 50 years, all with the Braves, Paul held just about every role there is in the game, player, manager, executive but it was his talent to find, identify, and develop baseball talent that made him so special, and he used that ability to help turn the Braves into a perennial powerhouse over such an illustrious career. Snyder spent his entire career with the Braves, joining the organization in 1957 as a minor league player when the franchise was still based in Milwaukee. He also managed in the minors before moving to Atlanta's front office in 1972. He served in a variety of roles for the Braves, including director of scouting, assistant to the general manager, and director of player development. Snyder twice rejoined the organization after retiring before he finally stepped away for good in 2012. Snyder's stature with the organization was so revered that he was inducted into the team's Hall of Fame in 2005. He helped develop Dale Murphy, He recommended Chipper Jones, the Braves said. The list of accomplishments goes on and on, but it's not just his baseball acumen that is missed today. Paul had a vibrant personality and generous nature that were second to none. Snyder was survived by his wife Petey, two children, and numerous grandchildren. All right, ending on a happy note, this article came out on ESPN.com by Bradford Doolittle. He's a staff writer for ESPN. Came out on December 3rd from Nashville, Tennessee. Jim Leland, the longtime manager who guided the Florida Marlins to the 1997 World Series title, was selected to the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Leland was named on 15 of 16 ballots in the selection process during a meeting of the Hall's Contemporary Baseball Era Committee which examined the cases of managers, umpires, and executives whose greatest contributions came after 1980. Leland will become the 23rd person to be inducted into the Hall as a manager, and the first since 2014 when Joe Torre, Tony La Russa, and Bobby Cox were enshrined. Leland, who got his start in the majors as a coach under La Russa with the Chicago White Sox, was asked to sum up what he tried to impart on his players over the years. I tried to impress upon them what it is to be a professional and how tough this game is to play, Leland said, and I told them almost every day how good they were. Leland never advanced beyond AA as a minor league catcher during a playing career that ended in 1970, but he more than made up for that during a long managerial career that began in the minors in 1971. He landed his first big league job with the Pittsburgh Pirates in 1986 and went on to win 1,769 games over a 22-year big league career that ended in 2013 with the Detroit Tigers. He ranks 18th on the all-time managerial win list. Only Hall of Famer Joe McCarthy won more games among managers who never made the big leagues as a player. As he waited for the call from Hall of Fame chairperson Jane Forbes Clark, Leland initially thought the hour advanced late enough that the call, 60 years in the making, was not going to arrive. And then finally it did. I thought when I didn't get the call by a quarter of 7, it wasn't going to happen. So I went up and just to rest a minute and get my thoughts together. When my son came up, the phone rang, and it was the Hall of Fame. I couldn't believe it. There was definitely a tear in my eye. Leland managed numerous superstar players during his career, including all-time greats Barry Bonds and Miguel Cabrera. As much as he was respected by the superstar players, he was known as a skipper who treated everyone in his clubhouse as an equal. All the good managers realize it takes 24, 25 guys, and it takes one heartbeat to sustain. And I try to communicate with everybody, Leland said. Leland, who is 78, will be inducted into the Hall of Fame on July 21st in Cooperstown, New York. He originally signed as a player with the Tigers organization in 1964, so when he is recognized among the game's immortals next summer, it will be the crowning achievement of 60 years around the professional game. It's the final stop, really, as far as your baseball career goes, Leland said, to end up and land there at Cooperstown? It doesn't get any better. I mean, that is the ultimate. And that's about all the time we have for sports this week. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Sports News. My name is Philip Bradbury. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.